I'm Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. The time is 10 o'clock. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard. Good morning, and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning, our topic is Maine Feeds Maine. Is this an idea whose time has come again? We've got some wonderful guests in the studio and also by phone who can help us with that topic, Maine Feeds Maine. Um, first of all, uh, Jane Livingston. Jane is the coordinator of a project that has, um, I guess, ended officially, but um, there's still some wonderful reverberations happening. Welcome to um, Talk of the Towns, Jane. And you're no stranger to the WER microphones as, as uh, producer and host of another program. Yeah, it's great to be back, Ron. Thanks. Great. great. Well, um, I'll introduce the other guests, and then we'll come back to you and learn a little bit about this project. Um, also with us in the studio is Logan Perkins. Logan is with something called Maine, uh, Food for Maine's Future. Welcome to you, Logan. Thanks for having me. Great. And you're based in Unity? That's correct. Great. We'll come back to you in just a minute. And by phone, we have Jim Cook. Jim is director of Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative, and he's, um, we're reaching him this morning in Madawaska. Welcome to you, Jim. Thank you, Ron. Good morning, Jane and Logan. Hey. Great to have you with us, Jim. Um, well, let's go back to Jane and ask her to tell a little bit about the project called Maine Feeds Maine before we uh, get into the topic of uh, Maine Feeding Maine. Jane? Well, what the project was, it was a series of four community discussions that brought producers together with um, retailers and distributors and representatives of organizations that were involved in everything from uh, farm to school to hunger, nutrition, farmland preservation, and so forth. Anybody who sort of was connected to the idea of local food uh, systems. And we used the Maine Distance Learning Project, which is a series of 91 sites around the state at secondary schools around the state where they have this technology where you can bring groups of people into the classroom and they can talk to and see people in other places around the state on these TV monitors and screens and stuff. And you can link four uh, sites, as many as four sites at once. And so that's what we did. We scheduled four half-day discussions and we scheduled each one at four different places places around the state. Um, one of our early sites had to cancel, but we ended up using 15 different sites mm-hmm. all over the state, from Fort Kent to Standish and Jay to Machias, and um, brought together about 150 people. Some of them came more than once and um, had these, what we refer to as open-ended, action-oriented discussions that were meant really just to release a lot of Uh, creative thought and energy and make connections and help people 
um, accelerate and improve any in any way they could this movement that's happening in Maine and in fact all over the country and Europe and other places um, that's focusing on sort of localizing uh, agriculture and food systems. That's great. And and this use of te the technology, it seems like that's one of the first times I've ever heard about this systems being used for kind of the non-classroom type education. And it is available to mm -hmm. the community. Um, it's not generally available on weekends, unfortunately, but in evenings and often during the school day, our session started at 1 o'clock. Um, and the reason we were able to use it, or certainly the reason that it made it so easy, was that John Harker, uh, from the Department of Agriculture, who played a key role in Maine Feeds Maine, offered early on, he first of all suggested that I look into this mm. when we were talking about how to bring the table closer to the farmer. We wanted everybody at the table, but we're always asking the farmers to come to mm. Augusta or Portland mm. or somewhere, and this was a way to get the table out to them. And, um, and so John suggested it. I checked it out, thought this was just perfect. And he said from early on, he said, if you want to use it, I, will, I know how to operate the system. Mm -hmm. So that took every, all the pressure off us to try to find somebody or learn how to actually, you only need one person at one site to pull all these four sites together. Mm -hmm. So um, John Harker and Deanne Herman also from the Department of Agriculture were very, very valuable mm -hmm. allies in this project. Well, that's great. And it seems like, because um, I participated in, the, in those uh, forums, I was just amazed at the diversity of people who showed up. Talk a little bit about that diversity. You've already mentioned some of the target groups, but um, do you remember any of the particular groups or organizations that stood out for you? Well, certainly, um, yes, but first I have to say to our listeners that you more than participated, Ron Beard. Ron was the facilitator at three of our four sessions and just did an outstanding job, and I've captured two of those sessions on video, so I have proof <laughs> at what a great facilitating job you did, Ron. Thank you. And, um, yeah, some of the people who stick out, well, some of them are here today. Mm -hmm. Of course, another person that this project couldn't have happened without, from my point of view, was Jim Cook, mm. because he and Crown of Maine Organic are already doing a lot of what we're all talking about. And also just because of the person that he is and the people that are Comac, the Crown of Maine Organic, you know, it's just uh, made it very, Jim attended every session. He got a lot of uh, growers. He works with 35 different producers and a lot of them are up in northern Arista County and he got a lot of great participation. The rest of our other guests here today, like Logan Perkins and other people we're going to be talking to also really stuck out for me. Um, and another one was Patty Butler from Good Shepherd Food Bank, who attended three of the four sessions and brought other people from Good Shepherd Food Bank with her. And people may not realize that they're the largest distributor of food to food pantries and so forth. In Maine, they move, move 10 million pounds of food a year in their big trucking system and so forth. And they're very, very interested in linking with producers and making more food available to Maine's neediest people that actually has grown here in Maine. Um, the Machias group, <laughs> uh, who met at the Machias site, I think you were at that, weren't you, Logan? Um, it certainly memorable. I'm sorry, it was, it was the one you did not facilitate, Ron, so you didn't get to see it. But they just absolutely whipped themselves <laughs> into action during one four-hour session, and they're still going strong. Hopefully we'll hear more about that today. Um, I don't know. There were so many mm. people. Wanda Beryl Braithwaite from Rural Community Action Ministry and um, Tim Fuller from, uh, I don't know if you remember, Healthy Acadia. Healthy Acadia. Right. And, oh, just on and on. I mean, we had facilitators like John Greenman, you mm -hmm. know, from public broadcasting and um, Larry Danzinger, you mm -hmm. know, one of the best community organizers in the state mm -hmm. of Maine. So 
um, we just had a great, and we targeted, we didn't broadcast, you know, we didn't put the word out in the mass media because these classrooms are quite small. They only fit mm. about 12 to 15 people each. And we wanted to make sure that the people who came to the table already knew quite a bit about the subject so we could move right into the action-oriented part. And uh, maybe that's a good place to segue mm -hmm. over to the people who are doing some of that action. Great. Well, let's get some... some uh, uh of sense of, of Logan. First of all, Logan, tell us a little bit about more, more about uh, Food for Maine's Future, your, the organization that you work for. Sure. Uh, Food for Maine's Future is a nonprofit uh, community organizing and advocacy effort. Our mission is to build a just, secure, sustainable, and democratic local food system for Maine. So um, we have spent um, a lot of time in the last year, year and a half, um, in the legislature working specifically on issues with genetic engineering and genetically modified organisms, but also have um, really begun doing a lot more work looking at local food systems and connecting with producers and connecting with consumers and trying to build more of a grassroots movement around that. We have hosted two and are organizing now for our third local foods and sustainable agriculture conference. That'll be this spring. And we worked with the Belfast Co-op and the Belfast Unitarian Universalist Church and WERU in November to host a local foods challenge. And, and what's that? What's, what's a local foods challenge? Uh, sorry, we actually, we called it an eat local challenge. Okay. Which was a, an opportunity. We, we put the challenge out into the community for people to eat as many all Maine produced meals in the month of November as possible. And we're going to do that again in March, actually, which presents its own unique set of challenges. <laughs> right. um, so... Working in, in things like that and in trying to build excitement, consumer excitement and um, grassroots excitement around what does it mean to eat local, what does it mean to source our food locally, and, you know, the beautiful thing about the Eat Local Challenge is that it really illustrates where are the holes, you know, what's mm. hard to find locally, and, and what does that do to our diets when we're eating mm -hmm. only local food and, and things like that. So that's some of the work that Food for Means Future has done in the last year and a half, couple years, and we're looking forward to doing a bunch more of it. Great. Well, as you participated in these um, uh, symposiums or uh, um, seminars, I guess, that were kind of broadcast um, through the, um, the ITV type system. What were your hopes and expectations? What did what, what did you come to to, to uh, experience? Well, I I got excited about it originally for just the sheer networking opportunity, which I think actually is one of the, probably the best things that mm. came out of Main Feeds Main is that it really did make a, a lot of connections and. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that we we hear come up again and again is, well, there's already so many organizations and people and farms who are working on these issues. And I think one of the great things that Maine Feed Maine did was connect a lot of those people. And there's definitely other efforts happening in the state, like the Eat Local Foods Coalition, to connect those people. But this was a really important step, I think, in, in actually... And I think one of the reasons it was so successful was, like Jane said, it brought the table to the mm. farmers and, and to other people, too, who maybe otherwise don't have a way to really connect or plug in. So the networking was a really, really important part of it for me and for the work that I want to do. Mm -hmm. Any particular um, things stand out for you in terms of a connection that you made that you might not have made um, if it weren't for Maine Feeds Maine? Well, I think... Um, uh, we made a couple really good connections with a couple producers, and that's really exciting for me. That's a body of people that I really am excited about getting to know better and, and actually doing service work for. 
uh, as an advocate and a community organizer. Um, and I, I also think some of the really exciting things that happened for us were seeing the, the focus on cooperative endeavors and seeing, learning about more people who can act as resources in those kinds of projects. And so as we move forward and look at, like one of the things we've been really looking at a lot is what, what are some of the infrastructural barriers to really having a functioning local food system. And I think that some of the resources that we connect with through Maine Feeds Maine can really help start answering some of those questions. And, and we hopefully we can all work together toward building and rebuilding that infrastructure because mm. that's mm. what it really is. is well, and when you say infrastructure, uh, tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Oh, there's a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, infrastructure is everything from storage to processing facilities. So it's grain mills, it's um, seed banks, it's cheese rooms, it's bottling facilities, it's slaughterhouses. Um, it, it's a whole ton of, of agricultural and food-based infrastructure that used to exist in this state. And it used to be decentralized. It used to be all over the place. Every little town had at least some key component of that agricultural infrastructure that helped to um, help to focalize the local economy using the, the raw materials produced on local farms and adding value to it and then distributing it around the community in the term in, in, in calories and also in economic units so that that fed the community both literally mm. and, and sort of metaphorically. Mm, that's, a great, that's a great image. Thank you for sharing that. Well, let's go to Madawaska and, and Jim Cook. Um, Jim, tell us a little bit about the Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative and your role in that. Well, the Crown of Maine um, basically was an outgrowth of our attempt to come farming up here in Aroostook County. And at the end of our first harvest, we realized that we had to find a population to distribute our product to because it's not up here in the county. Um, Aroostook County is the biggest county east of the Mississippi River, and the phone book's about a quarter of an inch thick. Mm-hmm. So we started traveling and distributing, and and because we were a small farm, found that the size of the market was very large, um, both in Maine and New England, and we started distributing for other farmers. And I guess because we, we are farmers, we uh, accepted the responsibility to return the highest farm gate prices we possibly could to each participating farm. And so over the years, we built a, a network and coalition of farmers that wanted the distribution to happen. And, and what kinds of things um, uh, would be in your <laughs> catalog of things that, to distribute? Well, when we started out, it was primarily the root storable crops because uh, up here in Rusty County, obviously, we focused on potatoes, beets, rutabagas, things we could grow and harvest at the end of the season and store and then pack and distribute all winter. Um, but as the years have gone on, we have now gotten into summertime distribution as well. So... We're distributing everything, anything and everything that's being grown in Maine, and we're also looking for value-added products, which our list is starting to grow uh, more and more. Mm. And and you were a big proponent of Maine Feeds Maine. Tell us why and, and what you saw as you um, saw Maine Feeds Maine evolve. Well, absolutely. Um, this could be a very long story because, like I said, we started distributing as an outgrowth of farming and realized the need and the size of the market, so we just kept at it. But actually, my light bulb went off, um, I guess it was three or four years ago now, when the Winter Cash folks in Portland, which Logan 
was um, one of the principals in, I believe, right, Logan? That's right. Yeah. Um, they threw a dinner in, in uh, at the North Deering Grange Hall where they had sourced from, I think it was two dozen farms around the state, all kinds of products. And I used to be famous for saying that I'd rather eat potatoes all winter than nothing at all, meaning <laughs> that when the uh, distribution or the West Coast fell off the face of the earth and we couldn't get food from out west, that uh, at least we'd have potatoes. But at this dinner that winter cash through, there was such a great diversity of food, everything you can imagine. And they made a point not to serve anything that wasn't sourced from the state of Maine, right down to the sea salt that was on the table. Mm. And so... At that dinner, I said to myself, wow, not only can we feed ourselves, but we can feed ourselves very well. And so now it's just a question of getting our production in order and uh, getting our distribution networks hooked up. And so we, we work on that. And this opportunity with Jane to get involved in these discussions was really a, a quantum leap forward in getting the, the issues in, into focus. Mm. And, uh, Jim, did anything surprise you when you actually um, um, participated? You participated in all of, all four of these um, kind of forums. Um, anything surprise you or intrigue you that you hadn't thought about before? Well, um, I guess the first thing that surprised me was that distance learning really worked. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess I was gratified more than surprised mm. that the people came to the table um, and then I think the the other real strong thing that happened is everybody came to the table more or less as equals. And so the conversations were very exciting and productive and um, a lot of energy pouring forth because of that. Say a little bit more about that. You mean um, there wasn't a hierarchy, it wasn't the Department of Agriculture organizing these things. Um, it, was, it was people organizing right. these we, things. We didn't go there necessarily to listen to somebody else talk. We mm-hmm. We went there to listen to each other and learn from each other what needed to be done, what others were doing, and how it could uh, benefit us. Mm. And it, it strikes me as, as a facilitator that you might have done that in a central location in Augusta, perhaps as part of the trade show, the agricultural trade show that ended last uh, week. But it wouldn't have had the same flavor because people you know, didn't have to drive all that way. They weren't tired of driving, perhaps. Um, they were able to do that fairly locally. Well, and if you were at the trade show and you remember it was the day after a snowstorm, I think a lot of people were kept away, actually, from the trade show by the af- by the being in the aftermath of the snowstorm. So, yeah, it was a real um, great way for folks to get together. I was at the meeting up in Fort Kent, and, you know, that's, we're way out up here. Mm. You know, so it was very nice to be able to sit in a room at Fort Kent with people uh over 100 miles away. Hmm. Um, Logan has just mentioned some of the, um, what she kind of described as infrastructure needs, uh, mm-hmm. things that are, are missing that used to be there that supported both um, producers but also consumers of, of main food. How, how, I mean, and, and you're doing something about the distribution system, which had probably fallen apart in some ways. Um, what other infrastructure needs do you see? Well, I think Logan painted the picture very well. I, there used to be all kinds of stuff here, and, and I think some of the pressing needs are to, for the state to have it. Well, they've, we've got slaughterhouses, excuse me, but we need more mm-hmm. facility because there's a lot of uh, meat production that needs to happen and can proliferate. And uh, if it's done in the proper manner, we can access bigger markets there. And that's an idea that's been on the table for 10 years. And uh, why it doesn't happen, I can't tell you. But 
Having said that, um, there's also an initiative that's been kicking around for about five years about a shared-use kitchen where small producers can go make value-added products and, you know, increase the um, viability and security of their own pictures by doing so. Uh, And in a shared-use kitchen, they don't have to go out and build the whole thing, uh, which is prohibitive, but they can share it with others. Um, So this idea... um, you know, we need more packing and distribution, uh, and we need more um, good retail outlets. So these are all um, kind of economic op- opportunities. Um, this is not um, necessarily thinking that government is going to do this. Each of those represents a potential economic opportunity. Yeah, I, I think we ought to face the music and understand that the government isn't going to be able to do everything for us all the time, and and uh, it's up to us to bootstrap and get to work. Mm. Now you're um, you're representing a cooperative. Talk a little bit about the cooperative nature of your work, and then I'll come back to Jane because this um, project was was um, supported um, by the kind of the cooperative movement. Um, the cooperative movement has a long history in the United States and elsewhere in the world, but we don't necessarily see it in in real visible forms. Tell us about your cooperative, Jim. Well. Our, uh, our use of the word cooperative comes from the fact that everybody that we work with, farmers, um, had to come to the table and agree to produce quality products for the existing marketplace and to help us get down the road and get the products distributed. So, um, And it's an awesome responsibility. And the, the people we work with, um, Jane mentioned the 35 farms, which we help at some level or another, some in small small ways, some in big ways, um, they all have to shoulder this quality responsibility because the public expects no less. Mm. And then we handle the rest of the responsibility of taking the product to the different markets, uh, you know, affecting on-time delivery and standing behind products and and working out any um, things that may happen in the meantime. Great. That's basically what we are. Great. Well, I'll remind listeners that we're having a conversation here on Talk of the Towns uh, called Maine Feeds Maine. Is this an idea whose time has come again? And uh, we've just been speaking by phone with Jim Cook, who's the director of Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative up in Madawaska. Um, in the studio with us are Logan Perkins of Food for Maine's Future and Jane Livingston, who um, is the coordinator of a project called Maine Feeds Maine. Um, you can participate as well if you'd like to uh, give us a call at any point during our hour, one 625-9378 or locally 469-0500. Jane, what about this, this notion of cooperative um, work? Um, part of the sponsorship of, of Maine Feeds Maine was a group, and you'll have to tell me the name of it. Yeah, the Cooperative Development Institute, which is about 15 years old, and it's uh, based in South Deerfield, Massachusetts, but it serves all of New England and New York State as a center for cooperative development mm. um, in terms of actual co-ops in ter- what we think of as, you know. So co-ops exist, um, uh, we, we've probably are familiar with food co-ops, but there are many other kinds of many, co-ops. Many right. housing co-ops, rural electrical co-ops. I mean, there's really every kind of business. There are worker co-ops in every field you can name, you know, mm-hmm. restaurants, taxi drivers, house builders, 
caregivers, you know, anyone can form a co-op. But we don't necessarily see um, the co-op school in, at the University of Maine. We see the business school. That's right. Yeah. It's a business model that's very, I was just saying to Logan before we started, it's like a tool in the toolbox that's languishing because no one knows how to use it. Mm. But the most important part uh, that I just want to, the core mm. of cooperatives mm-hmm. are the cooperative values that that are as articulated by the International Cooperative Alliance, which is Thousands and thousands and thousands of co-ops from all over the world spending years drafting this mm-hmm. co-op identity mm-hmm. statement. In 1995, they agreed on these 10 values. And I just hope listeners can think about contrasting these values with the values that drive our current economic model. Self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, in the dictionary definition for that is fairness, honesty, openness, solidarity, social responsibility, and caring for others. And that's what drives the cooperative enterprise model, is that it's not about what's in it for me. Mm. It's about what's in it for us. It's not altruistic. It's mutual benefit. It's about mutual benefit. And that was the whole basis of the Main Feeds Main model, was that if we all come together and talk about how we can help each other we all will benefit. Mm. And there are many, 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 many examples around the world from Mondragon in Spain with, you know, hundreds of thousands of members and huge organizations, own banks and schools and everything, to little tiny, I talked to a worker co-op, a builder's co-op in Boston last week that has nine members. It's 30 years old. They're all making a great living. They meet every week. By, they make all decisions by consensus. They all get paid equally for their work. They're all happy as pigs in mud. Mm. And, you know, so it, there's any type of business can mm-hmm. be made into a cooperative. The fundamental difference is that it's based on these values of mutual benefit instead of um, caveat emptor, buyer mm-hmm. beware, or mm-hmm. big dog eats first, mm-hmm. or the kind of, quote, values mm-hmm. that drive our current model, speculative investor capitalism. So an example of a, a cooperative uh, venture that m- many people might be familiar with is a credit union. A credit union is a cooperative. Right. It's legally right. structured, owned by its depositors, right. and they elect the board of directors, which is an unpaid mm-hmm. local board. Yeah, Great. That's why they keep the money in the local economy, credit Great. unions. Great. Well, we'll come back to more of this discussion. I'll remind listeners they can participate as well. We're talking about Maine Feeding Maine, one 625 9378 or locally, 469-0500. Well, we're going now to um, down east Maine, further down east, um, and Carly uh, Del Signor of Tide Mill Organic Farm. She's with us by phone. Welcome to you, Carly. Hi, thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about your farm. You've got a fascinating um, enterprise going, and you're, you're trying to um, get your goods to market. And that, that's one of the things that um, um, is so special about Maine Feeding Maine is, is making these connections. That's right. Um, my husband and I began farming in 2000, um, and we moved back to his um, family's farm, which um, is a very special place um, in, on the shores of Cobscook Bay. It's been in his family since 1765. <laughs> wow. So it's, a, it's an incredibly um, special place, and the generations that have been here before us have done a wonderful job um, in terms of stewardship of the land and and continuing, you know, very resource-based, making their living off the land and passing it on to future generations. Um, So we've had a lot of family support. There's um, four members of the Bell family living here, seventh generation, um, 
two seventh-generation brothers and their wives. The eighth generation is, is my husband's generation, and uh, all four members of the eighth generation are all living on the farm. And my husband and I have three members of the ninth generation, and his cousin Rachel have three members um, of the ninth generation. So it's an incredible. There's 1,600 acres of land here, and um, and my husband and I manage um, an organic meat, milk, and vegetable operation, and. Uh, have been very diverse, kind of creating things as we're going, trying to make our sole living farming um, within um, a very challenging environment, which Logan um, spoke to in terms of not having the infrastructure that was once so defining, such a defining feature in Washington County um, is, is virtually non-existent. I mean, we raise meat, so we have to have it um, harvested. You know, we, we've put in a, a small-scale processing facility for our poultry so we can harvest our own um, poultry here on our farm, but we can't harvest our own beef on our farm, we can't harvest our own pork on our farm, and we drive to Herring Brothers, which is a solid three and a half hours away from us. Where's that located? Silver Foxcroft. Uh So that's, I mean, it's a whole day. I mean, we just left to take two cows up on Wednesday, and uh, and Aaron left at six o'clock in the morning. He didn't return until six o'clock at night. I mean, it's just you know, um, but I think that, you know, there's very creative ways um, to doing that. And the more partnerships we can form around the county, the more, um, the more viable um, it will be, because the fact of the matter is we do have to travel mm-hmm. to a USDA um, certified um, processing plant, which is three out, you know, the Herring mm-hmm. Brothers is not like it's the furthest one away. I mean, it's one of the closest ones mm-hmm. um, to us. And, uh so if we can create, you know, you know, creatively use other farmers who are also trying to do similar things in our area to share the trucking expense of going up, um, you know, matching up with Jim Cook, um, which we were able to do a couple of weeks ago, where he picked up our meat for us at the at, at Herring Brothers, you know, and we met him in Ellsworth and helped get him the order that he needed, and he passed on the rest of the meat to me. Um, that's the very exciting things for me around Maine Feeds Maine is those types of connections and partnerships that we can creatively um, work out to so make did it you, work. So did you and Jim meet? Um, he's on the phone with us, by uh, as, you, as you know. Did you in, meet through Maine Feeds we Maine? We did. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard a lot about Jim. And, um, and that meeting, I attended the meeting in Machias, um, which there was, you know, various people working really hard to make sure a meeting was in Machias. I heard it was originally scheduled for Bucksport, of which I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't right. have been able to go. Bucksport right. is, you know, two two hours from, hour and a half, two hours from me. Sure. So in Machias, there must have been 15 people sitting around that table, and it was so inspiring, like there's just this big oomph of here we are and starting to piece together, wow, there's a lot of people in Washington County that are playing major roles in food, you know, and growing food and making food available, processing food, and how can we work together? So... Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as I got home from that meeting, I think I called Jim the next day and said, hey, let's let's work on something. Because, again, you know, my products aren't, um, we raise 6,000 chickens a year. Um, We're milking 42 cows. We raise about 30 pigs and grow about two acres of mixed vegetables and uh, raise about 300 turkeys. And that market, well, I believe it could be all of Washington County. And one of my goals is to, you know, is to bring my market a little closer to home. At this point, that's not the case. And 
So having Jim help me get my stuff to Portland so I don't have to drive all the way down there is a major asset to me. Um, so your market is, is kind of a statewide market, specialty market, um, but you've got to get your goods to where those consumers um, are that, that want your product. That's right. And for me to drive all the way to Portland with $1,000 worth of chicken in my van, the numbers do not work out. <laughs> right. <laughs> it doesn't at, at all. Um, so, you know, um, we've been talking um, with the Washington Hancock Community Agency about different uh, ways that they can help in terms of what we need in, um, in Down East Maine. Out of that Maine Feeds Maine meeting also was this, um, re, you know, this like rejuvenation of this Down East Farmers meeting, which had have been going on for a long time, but the leadership wanted to change hands. Nobody was wanting to step up to the table to um, participate in in leading this group after the main feeds main meeting you know a young uh young guy stepped forward and said let's you know let's do this let's get this rolling again you know so we had our our first meeting again as a as a collective which includes a lot of young homesteaders and young farmers with their kids and a potluck and met and said okay you know let's what directions do we want to take this how can we work together um to strengthen you know what we have in washington county and where are the obstacles to see where we can overcome it. Mm. You represent a farm that was part of Maine when Maine was feeding Maine. That's right. And it seems like um, you're um, part of what's going to do it again. That's right. I hope to be, and I think it takes, you know, it, it takes um, everybody being excited about it and willing to um, work together, which comes with compromise. I think farmers are very independent people, <laughs> and it's hard to, you know, convince them that you know it's you know we can get further ahead by working together and not just all all doing our our own thing but um but there's a lot of neat things coming out of it we have um a group meeting at the Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center which primarily is homeschoolers parents and young kids and we've developed a project of creating a local foods map so we're meeting with them and then you know every week for the next um until probably the end of April um, to, to find sources of our local foods and the fisheries. You know, we have a big asset here that we're right on the coast of Maine. There's a lot of ocean food that, um, that is being harvested from the ocean and, and can really feed ourselves a lot of that. But, you know, it's all, you know, it's all going to the southern part of the state. It's really hard for, you know, the local community here to actually eat fresh fish and fresh clams. Right. And, because of the way things are set, you know, I think is a lot of the way the infrastructure is set up. Um, well, and it was based, as, as you probably heard Jane describe, it was based, it's based on a different kind of economic model um, that isn't necessarily thinking about um, what's good for the local area. It's thinking about um, just the individual by individual. Mm -hmm. um, any, any words of, of uh, encouragement that you'd like to pass on to listeners about this kind of, of uh, Maine feeding Maine, this, this, this work that you're so actively engaged in? Well, I just say get involved. There's a place for everyone at this table, and uh, and we, you know, I want to hear what consumers need. I want to hear. Um, I want. I want consumers to be. Um, want to hear what the obstacles are for them to, you know, buy main foods, and I want you know farmers to get involved and everywhere, you know, everywhere down the line. I just want people to get involved and. Uh, and feed on this incredibly moment. You know, it's very exciting to be a part of just this. You know, there's a lot of momentum out there, and it's making a difference. And that's the thing that's so exciting. You know, it's like uh, there's so many um, issues out there in the world that I feel like are going wrong, and it's so hard to see the change and see how your 
um, you know, creating this positive change. And I think this movement it, um, focuses on so many of the issues that really can make a huge difference in our lives. Um, so that's very exciting to me. And just to realize what a big difference people can make by eating um, locally and feeding ourselves. Great. We'll stay online just for a minute, and I'm going to see if there are comments or, or um, questions that other guests here have for you. Jim Cook is up in Madawaska. We've got um, Logan Perkins and Jane Livingston here in the studio. Anything that you want to um, say kind of in response to what um, Carly has been saying? Uh, Logan? Um, it's just it's so inspiring to me to hear uh, an amazing, dynamic, uh, diverse producer like Carly speak to these issues because <clears throat> she's just right on and... Um, we need people like that to to step up and lead from their experiences, and I think the the work that they're doing down east is really inspiring. And I would I would just say to you, Carly, as you guys in Washington County figure out where you're going and what your needs are, keep me posted and let me know what I can do to help because I I uh, I'm definitely here for you guys if there's anything I can do. Great, thank you. How about you, Jim? Any any thoughts or reflections on on Carly's story? Yeah, I mean this whole uh, chance meeting that Carly had through the ITV was um, the impetus for us to start running farther down east. We were going to Ellsworth and Bar Harbor, and you know, we looked at the outlying areas being pretty sparse, and because Carly had product and there were some needs down there, we started bumping into a few small buying clubs down there. And I'll say the route still needs a little bit of development, but it's this, um, this knowledge and excitement of getting together and sharing these ideas that's making it happen. And so, you know, we, we'll take the long view and, and keep going that way, and we're very glad that we can help a farm way out there to get their product to market uh, because it's this kind of diversity that helps us make it in distribution for the farms. I mean, we not only need more stops along the way, but we need more products to keep the cost of distribution down so that we can get the farm gate prices to be viable for the farms. So this whole venue that Maine Feeds Maine provided had some real immediate benefits for us. Great. Well, Carly, we'll let you go because we may have other callers who want to participate in this morning's program, but thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. That's Carly Del Signore, Del Signore of Tide Mill Organic Farms um, down in Washington County. Um, you can participate in this conversation about Maine feeding Maine, an idea whose time has come again. And I don't, I don't think I have to ask the question. I think it has come again. Um, please give us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight or locally at four six nine zero five hundred. As I said, we have stu- uh, st- guests in the studio: Jane Livingston, who is the coordinator of Maine Feeds Maine, and Logan Perkins of Food for Maine's Future. And on the phone with us uh, still is Jim Cook, director of Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative. Um, so these kind of stories um, must have uh, bubbled up all over the place. And you had the opportunity, Jane, to, to pull people back together at the Maine or, uh, uh, Agricultural Trade Show. Anything else that, that comes to mind from that s- session, That uh, that another story that might um, help people understand the impact of this set of gatherings? Well, <clears throat> you know, I can't write offhand pull out another story right now, although Logan was also there and she might remember one. But one of the things I just wanted to add to that last go-round was a phrase that I heard first from Logan, and I don't know where it comes from, um, but it has just you know resonated so much with me, and that is 
agriculture-supported community. Mm. We talk about mm. community-supported agriculture mm. as if the farmers are our charity cases and we're helping them out, you know, and we have to support the poor farmers and make sure the farmers make it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the reality of it is um, most of us like to eat at least once a day, and that food all comes, you know, from somebody's farm. So as gas prices go up and all these other things start happening and we're concerned about food pathogens and yada yada, and we look more and more to local food, I think it's useful for people to start trying to shift their thinking to what it means to live in an agriculture-supported community. Mm. And I just think that's a very powerful concept. That's something that actually I started talking about. Jim referenced earlier the Winter Cash Project um, that I co-founded with three other people in 2004 in the Portland area. And that project was uh, a community effort to grow, um, preserve, store, and then distribute local sustainably produced food throughout the winter. And our, our real focus was on, you know, it's it's great and easy to eat local food, easy, eat, mo- mostly easy to eat local food in the summertime, but we have a pretty short growing season here in Maine, and so what do you do when we're not in the growing season? And that was our first um, sort of way of looking at, uh, okay, well, what? how do we do this in the off-season? And we were, that project is basically a, a cooperative effort. Anybody who wants to get involved can participate in growing and producing the, the food. We have a work trade with a long-standing organic farm in Cumberland and establish a great mentoring relationship with an organic farmer there who actually just passed away this winter. But she was an amazing support person for us and and basically taught us how to do this thing. Mm. And we built a root cellar um, in a friend's basement in Monjoy Hill in in the east end of Portland and uh, figured there probably hadn't been an active root cellar in the city of Portland in 25 or 30 years. So... um, so, you know, and we really started to to look at that concept and do both, you know, that community-supported agriculture is really important, but agriculture-supported community is also really important. And um, I think that, to me, speaks to some of the things that we really have. If we're going to really have agriculture-supported communities, we we need to really ramp up our agricultural systems and we need to diversify them and you know a couple of things that jumped out from the Maine feeds Maine thing and if we really start crunching the numbers and looking at what would it take for Maine to feed Maine we really need more farmers Mm. and that's that's really critical is that farming has to again become a a well-respected and revered profession and it has to be valued and farmers have to be able to earn a living wage and in order to do that, in order to have more farmers, we need to have affordable, accessible farmland. And that's a r- another really important piece of the puzzle that I think um, we, we really have to figure out how to make that happen. And that might mean that our communities have to sort of reassess how we value land and farmland and how we value farmers and make it easier for farmers to participate through cutting them property tax breaks. You know, And if that means everyone else has to pay a little more property tax, what you're really doing is subsidizing a really critical part of your local economy and your ability to eat food mm. you know and we, we pay taxes to make sure the roads are done but we don't think we should have to pay taxes to have food right exactly <laughs> interesting well let's let's go to another um, uh, piece of this um, mosaic and uh, i believe we have chris grigsby on the phone uh chris is a produce buyer for belfast co-op um, welcome to talk of the towns chris uh thank you <clears throat> good morning everybody 
Tell us, and you're on, you're on your route. You're actually delivering food, I think, today, or picking up uh, food. I am, actually. I'm in, I'm in Rockland right now, uh, sitting in the produce truck. Um, on Fridays, I deliver for a wholesaler who's out of Walderboro, and we, we go down to a larger warehouse in Portland um, at you know, 2 or 3 in the morning and uh, load up trucks and, and head up on, on the coast here and deliver to mostly restaurants. Um, Tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, your role with Belfast Co-op and, 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 and how you then came to Maine Feeds Maine. Well, I just, uh, I just started at the Co-op uh, back in November um, and sort of went into the, uh, the produce department um, at really at my, my, first, uh, my first hand at the retail level. Um, I, my experience is more in the wholesale end of things. Um, but I was just really amazed by the whole cooperative um, Effort, you know, my it was sort of my first, uh, my first, firsthand um, go at it, but uh, but it, it's just amazing the the effort that everybody put uh, forth with the local stuff. Uh, Fran Clemenson is the education director, and she teamed up with Logan to do the the e local challenge. And I actually came in right in the middle of that month, and uh, was just amazed at at the the amount of of local product that we were still uh, sourcing and carrying. Um, in the produce department, but but as well as, as as all the way around the store, and and also just the the, the members supporting that, you know, people sort of go for the lo- everybody's always, everybody's asking, you know, is this local? Is this from away? Is it local? And and the the price sort of falls to the wayside on that, which is which mm. is great, you know, it's it's just more of a local support. Um, so me- there. co-op members and the people who shop at the co-op really get this notion of, of um, sourcing and, and buying things as local as possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have, we have a lot of people who, who put things back if it's from California, you know, and, and, and particularly recently in the past uh, two to three weeks, we've seen um, pretty large increases in, in the pricing of, of a lot of the California produce that's coming in. Um, you know, we've had... The, we, We've um, all, all of our greens have have definitely gone up uh, quite a bit, and and they've had some bad weather out there. But I, I really got to think that a lot of it has to do with the the fuel crunch that's going on. I mean, diesel. Uh, I fueled up the truck here this morning, and diesel's three seventy. You know, and, and it does just got to catch up here at some point. Mm. Traveling all the way across the country to get to us. So, what what impressed you or intrigued you about Maine Feeds Maine? What connections did you make through through participating? Well, uh, for me, uh, it was good to it was good to catch up with Jim again. I, I actually had um, Jim used some warehouse space uh, at the company that I used to work for in Portland called Native Maine Produce, which actually, ironically enough, uh, there isn't a whole lot of Native Maine Produce that goes through there. Um, you know, we we have we have a, a big tractor trailer that goes down to the the Chelsea Produce Market uh, Monday through Friday, um, and would you know come back up, and ninety nine percent of it was conventional and Pretty much all of it was from away, and um, but but Jim, when he first got going there, was uh, was using some warehouse space for his potatoes and and getting his distribution going and everything. So it was great to to link up with him and just see how successful uh, Crown of Maine has has become and and sort of diversifying as well. Um, but it was just great for me to to be able to 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 just sort of see the uh, the amazing efforts that are going on around the state with with people trying to get this stuff to the consumers and. And that's really what uh, what what it seems like is, we're up against here is is um, you know how do we get this to the majority? Cause it seems like it seems like the minority of folks are are um, sort of getting it, but 
but uh, you know, in the larger scheme of things, you know, how do we really get it out there? And and um, it was just great to see all these different groups and and organizations coming together to try to figure that out. Great. Well, we'll let you go because we may have listeners um, waiting to call in. Um, thanks so much for joining us here on on Talk of the Towns this morning. Thanks a lot. That's Chris Grigsby um, the, of the Belfast Co-op. He's the produce buyer there and also involved in wholesale um, distribution. Um, you can participate as well. You may have some comments or questions for our guests in the studio, one 625 9378 or locally 469 We're talking about Maine Feeding Maine, and you ha- may have some questions for our guests in the studio, Jane Livingston, who's the coordinator of that project, and Logan Perkins of Food for Maine's Future, and on the phone with us from Mattawas. Jim Cook, director of Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative. Um, we've talked about um, the notion of, of uh, um, what local farmers, local producers, what local um, consumers need to do. We may come back in a minute. We've got a phone call, but we may come back and look at some of the policies that we might need to change. And I'll ask each of you for some policy kinds of suggestions. Um, but first, we have a phone call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Is it me? Yes, this is you, finally. <laughs> yes, it's busy. Uh, my name is Frank Donnelly, and I live here in Lemoyne, and I'm on the beginning edges. I haven't really been hired or anything like that yet, but we're a fish co-op, local uh, mid-state fish co-op, is in the process of starting to do what the, the uh, farmers have been doing. That's Local, wonderful. Locally produced, and they're getting some grant money from the Island Institute for gear changing and to keep a local sustainable fishery going amongst a small group of people so it doesn't get into the mega fishing industry, i.e. the Walmart-type mentality. But most of the fishing industry wants to go that direction. So when you get up, set up and, and get established, um, how will that actually work? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe... I'm following the preliminary, but I've been listening to the program... In fact, I called up the president of the co-op to tell him to get on his computer and listen to it. Oh, good. And so it's in the planning stages, but it's uh, it will be happening. Great. Well, we'll get back to you at some point, Frank, and, and um, yeah, see I if we can't um, have a special show on that. There'll be fish out here, uh, just like the just like the tomatoes and cucumbers. For That's great. Future. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Hey, Frank, here's one suggestion is to get in touch with Jim Cook at Crown of Maine Organic. <laughs> yeah, I'll call up later and ask for a phone number. For okay, that. great. Jim, would you be happy to distribute fish as well as uh, the other things you're doing? Yes, absolutely. would be very happy to meet with people. I mean, <clears throat> fish and seafood has its special requirements and also some licensing that goes into it. But I would, I would say to the listening audience and everybody that wants to have an idea that's developing is to get tuned into Maine Feeds Maine or, and or you don't necessarily even have to go through any um, organized structure, but just get with your neighbors and mm. start talking these ideas over and communicate with people, network, because this is how we're making everything happen, and I'm really glad to hear Frank call in. Great. We do have another call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, my name is Jim. I live in Garland. I have a small farm. Uh, I am in the Dover Foxcroft area, and we we do have uh, access to uh, facilities to to uh, slaughter animals. But um, uh, about 25 years ago, there was a, a very viable uh, uh, organization, Fedco, of which um, I think a couple of names I'll just throw out, just because there are people that are very knowledgeable about uh, what you're talking about. Deanne Herman, that you mentioned from the Department of Agriculture, was involved with that. 
and Tom Roberts that runs uh, Snake Root uh, Organic Farm, does a lot of uh, farmer's markets. Uh, but that uh, actually went by the wayside. It was more consumer-oriented, and I find out what you're doing, uh, being producer-oriented, has a, a lot of possibilities. But when you get to uh, moving food around, anything that weighs a lot, uh, it gets very expensive, and the logistics of it uh, have to be weighed very carefully. And I think part of that was the demise of uh, Fedco Organic Warehouse uh, there's another thing that is still existing. Uh, Fedco Seeds is a very viable, ongoing organization that grew out of that cooperative movement. Uh, and I think the cooperative principles uh, kind of got uh, usurped uh, about uh, 15 or 20 years ago when, they, when everything went downhill because uh, the consumers bought into the convenience aspect of, uh, of all of their of buying food. And uh, if you can keep away from that and keep it on the producer end of things, uh, I think you have a much better chance. And, and, and again, there's just a lot of people that have had experience in the cooperative movements that might uh, have some expertise in it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Janie, a comment? Yeah, great. Really great feedback. Um, First of all, Tom Roberts, who attended Maine Feeds Maine, a couple of them, um, and actually grows much of the food I eat because I shop at the Orono Farmer's Market where he sells uh, Snake Root Organic Farm from Pittsfield. Um, he volunteered to create and maintain a website for Maine Feeds Maine through the, through the winter season. <laughs> and um, so people can find out and participate. You know, there's a feedback loop at www.com mainfeedsmain.org at least until the growing season starts and um, maybe we'll find another volunteer to keep it going again it's just as long as people want it to um, the, the cooperative thing I just want to let people know as we did at all the Main Feeds Mains that there are some interesting models going on right now in Nebraska and Oklahoma and if you google on your internet on Nebraska Food Co-op or Oklahoma Food Co-op, it'll uh, take you to some information about a model of producer and consumer sort of hybrid-owned online co-ops that are very interesting. And also the website, um, well, but I'll leave it at that for now. Great. We may have time for one more call, and then I'm going to ask our guests to talk a little bit about some of the challenges and opportunities as we move forward, especially some of the policy kinds of things. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, yeah, Paul Bernacki at the Wayback Farm, and I've been an organic farmer for about 30 years now and also involved in the co-op movement for that amount of time. And, um, I, I think I'm just going to throw in some monkey wrenches. Um, there's been a lot of effort and a lot of time and money and organization that have gone on the last 30 years in this state, and some of the problems are problems, and it's our society doesn't seem doesn't seem so willing to uh, to voice the problems that most of the fertility in the state right now is being based upon either directly on oil or secondhand through uh, commercial sources of uh, uh, secondhand fertility. Uh, most of the hay fields in the state for 30 years were fertilized with uh, the broiler industries waste product. Uh, a lot of the organic farms in the state 20 years ago were being fertilized with that. So we have the increased price of oil and the, the wanting to get away from using 
commercial agriculture's waste product as our fertility base. Then the, another really important issue is that I've come across time and time again, even people who work in co-op stores want to have health insurance, paid vacations, um, decent working conditions, or Social Security paid. Most farmers in the state do not have a lifestyle or an economic style that is very attractive to hardly anybody. It's really hard to find somebody who wants to work 10 hours a day for 6 bucks an hour or 14 hours a day for 6 bucks an hour. And looking back over the, you know, 100 years ago, people had a lot lower expectations of what uh, a healthy, fulfilling lifestyle were. There weren't $1,000 laptops, and everybody didn't have a car, and people, you know, 20 years old didn't, <clears throat> didn't expect to have their own living situation and their own personal transportation. I think we really need to address that our society has cheap oil expectations overlaying on a, uh, a land-based economy um, that will not support the same kind of absurd luxury that we've gotten used to. Okay, Paul, I'm going to have to t uh, cut you off, yeah. not uh, because I, I'm not fascinated with what you're saying. I think we could devote a, yeah. another program on that. So thanks very much for your call this yeah. morning. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, but hey, uh, Paul's point is exactly the point. is why Maine feeds Maine is so important. Yes. Why policy issues are so important, because we do need to come away from the peak oil. You know, we need to get into different lifestyles. And this thing that's starting with agriculture is just the tip of the iceberg of us changing our whole society. You know, it's going to be a dynamic process, and it ain't going to be easy, but Paul's exactly right. Yes. We're working on it. That's right. And and the notion that um, if we don't pay attention to this, we won't have communities um, because agriculture won't be supported either. Mm -hmm. So uh, a last word, uh, very briefly, um, where's this going? Um, Jane and then um, Logan and then Jim, where's this going? What's your hope? Well, I guess my hope is that people would understand that in terms of Maine Feeds Maine, that it was a demonstration of a process and, um, you know, that the process was basically participatory planning. Everybody comes to the table. Everybody's respected equally. And anyone can go out and do this. Anyone can use the Main Distance Learning Project. Again, they have a website. Anyone can organize a meeting and call together whoever they want to talk Great. more about Maine Feeds Maine. And I hope a lot of people do. Jim, what's your hope? Well, I think it's the... the the fulfillment of my hope. You know, I've traveled among these circles for 12 years now, and I've seen it. You know, I've seen the energy and felt the love and surrounded by the food. And it's this thing is snowballing in our home state of Maine. And this gives me a lot of hope that we're working on exactly what I was just talking about. We're going to change our society. We're going to make a better future. And our kids are going to be able to take this over and carry it forward. Great. Logan? Um, I, I'm really excited to... <clears throat> to be alive and young and participating in this, it's, it seems really like a, a great moment to be um, part of a, a visionary community that's really staking our claim on the future and saying, this is the world we want to live in and, and we're 
we're gritting our teeth and ready to build it. Great. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second Friday at this time for Family Radio Forum and on the fourth Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music Recording. Our shows are now archived at weru.org. Click on Archives. Thanks again to our guests, Jane Livingston, Coordinator of Maine Feeds Maine, Logan Perkins of Food for Maine's Future, Jim Cook of Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative, Carly Del Signore of Tidemill Organic Farm, and Chris Grigsby of the Belfast Co-op. Thanks to um, our underwriters at the Maine Community Foundation. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. <laughs>